What do we do? A podcast discussing wealth management and financial planning, and also introducing listeners to the leaders in our community. Hosted by the founder and CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen, alongside radio personality, Kyle Bogie. Hi, I'm Dewey Steffen. Our goal with the What Do We Do podcast is to educate listeners on topics that impact your financial growth, your retirement, and your lifestyle. Join us twice a month as we welcome some of today's leaders in the community, plus experts in finance and retirement, to inform listeners on the topics that impact us all. These conversations can help you make better decisions so you can plan for and live your best life. Here's Dewey Steffen alongside Kyle Bogey. Another episode of the What Do We Do podcast. Kyle Bogey and the CEO of Great Lakes Wealth, Dewey Steffen, here inside the friendly confines of Great Lakes Wealth. Of course, appreciate everyone downloading, whether it's Apple, Spotify, and uh, as Dewey was just uh, pointing to, you know, on the camera, the uh, the Great Lakes Wealth YouTube page, which you haven't, if you haven't subscribed to it, go ahead and subscribe uh, at this point as well. But Dewey, uh, a lot to dive into on this episode, and I, I will say. I've learned a lot doing this podcast. This is going to be something that I know absolutely nothing about, and that is international investing. So, uh, again, going to be a good episode, very informative, I think. And uh, are you ready? Because this is going to be really on you. I'm just going to drive this thing, but ultimately, all the information, all the insight, the knowledge, that's Dewey Steffen coming into play right there. Hey, Kyle. That's no pressure at all for a guy like me, right? <laughs> Come on, are you serious right now? Hey, everybody, uh, podcast listeners, YouTube watchers, this is episode 35 of the What Do We Do podcast. Fired up, happy to be here, and Kyle, to come along on this ride, you have your passport out, you ready to get it stamped? Do I need one? Oh, yeah. Is that okay. Going. International investing, my man. Like, what country do you want to start at? We're going to go around the globe. No, just kidding, right? <laughs> so, yes, international investing, we have not really touched on this subject to this point. It's very important. And it's extremely timely here in 2021. So we're going to talk about it in detail. All right. So I want to gain a further understanding of you know exactly what this is. So I think there's plenty of people out there who, like me, not exactly totally in tune with the with the stock market. You know, with how the financials work, things of that nature. You know, obviously you want to if you're someone like me reach out, have a financial advisor, have somebody, you know, like your team at Great Lakes Wealth, simply handle this stuff. So uh, you don't have to do the homework and you're not constantly thinking about it. So I want to start in a very elementary way where we just get down to the, the very basics of what international investing is. So let's just start there. Okay. What is international investing? And I guess might as well just add to it. Why is it important? So we're going to talk about what it is, we're going to talk about why it's important, and we're going to talk about how you do it if it makes sense. How's that sound? Sure. Great. Fair enough. Okay. Well, we're going to take a step back, doo -doo 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 -doo, back to 2020, and we talked about the U.S. markets. We talked about the three main markets. Do you remember what they were, Kyle? The S&P 500, uh, the NASDAQ, and um, the top 30, the, the elite of the, the elite. elite. We've of talked the elite. about this. Yes. 
I, I, I can't remember. How about the Dow? Oh, Jones this is that's industrial average. Oh man, oh, man. This okay, is, well, this is we're embarrassing. Gonna, well, we're gonna have you go Woo! back to one of those pods. I don't know number <laughs> seven, eight, or whatever it was. Okay, Kyle. So we're gonna go with that, right? So as you said, the S and P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq, right? And there's a, those are the three broad indices here in the United States. Okay. Yeah. There's a bunch of other ones we touched on briefly. There's the small cap, this, the Russell, that, the whatever, this. Okay, well, there's a whole other world out there outside the United States, okay? And this would be called, you know, international investing. XUS is called international if you take the U.S. out of it. If you add in the U.S., actually, that's actually called global investing, right? Okay. So there are global indices that can't, that capture the United States, and there are ones that are XUS. So for today's podcast, we're going to talk about XUS, international. So you can understand if you had S&P and you had an international version of the S&P, they would be together global pull them apart. for sure yeah so we're going with the international okay so with that there's actually three international indices that we kind of use as our barometers in investing now these aren't named the same thing right it's not the Dow industrial average it's not the Nasdaq it's not the S&P 500 they're very different right you got it they're uh, very... I just had to repeat to make sure that people knew I, I did pick up on that and I remembered I'm sorry so in the international world of investing okay you're gonna like this it actually doesn't talk about the elite of the elites and the next 500 and then the you know aggressive ones then the tech area like uh, today well in international investing they talk about this thing called developed markets. They talk about this thing called emerging markets. And they talk about this other thing or place called frontier markets. Does that make some sense? Of course. Okay, so developed markets, since it makes some sense, talk about the largest countries. They're developed countries. That might be, you know, Central Europe. That might be, you know, Great Britain. That might be France, right? Sure. So developed markets are ones that are on par with the United States to a degree in terms of the development of their country. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the next tier down, which might be a little bit more aggressive, would be those that are emerging. They're emerging. They're becoming more, you know, industrialized like the United States. They're becoming more on par with the rest of the, you know, developed world. That's kind of how it goes. Are you going to quiz me on these at the end of this, by the way? Should I'm, I take some notes? I'm going to give you an acronym for emerging markets from okay. back in the day, which was BRIC. BRIC. B-R-I-C. BRIC. Could you guess what countries would stand for BRIC? Uh, Britain. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna to go <laughs> uh, a different direction. Iceland. Right, uh... okay, so uh, the BRIC countries back in the day of yeah. emerging uh, emerging countries would be Brazil, okay. Russia, India, and China. Okay. Right? So sure. we have acronyms today like Not FANG. Chile? Are you sure? Not, well, not Chile? Okay, come on, not come on. Chile. No, China <laughs> is bigger, right? But you have, today you have FANG, right? Facebook. Amazon, Apple, Netflix, the Google, right? So there's all these acronyms in investing, but as it relates to international investing, uh, BRIC was one that was uh, you know important for a long time and still kind of is. But in this day and age, China has kind of taken you know the, the, sure. the overseas hold for a bunch of reasons. We'll talk on that today too, all you listeners out there. But the next level down besides emerging are really brand new countries that are just now getting like a currency in place. They're actually just going from rickshaw shaws to bicycles they're not even driving cars yet if you believe there are parts of the world like this they're called frontier markets okay so so for me to understand this i'm I'm thinking of you know sports analogy because that's just always what i kind of go back to like an expansion team in a professional sports league they're just getting started they're figuring it out 
but they got a long way to go before they're going to be able to compete. Fair? They've got a long way to go before they compete, but kind of like if there's odds involved, if they win that game, those odds are 100 to 1. You get paid because of that extra chance. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to kind of go fast through this and take some stops along the way, okay? So there's three main indices in international investing. Again, the uh, developed markets, there's an index that you would track there, similar to the S&P 500, or let's call that the Dow. That is the MSCI EFE, E-A-F-E, okay? Europe, uh, Europe, Asia, and the Far East, okay? So Europe, Asia, and the Far East Index. The second one is the Emerging Markets Index, and that's the MSCI Emerging Markets Index. And the third one is the MSCI Frontiers Market. And um, those indices rel- you know, relate to the type of uh, countries that we're talking about. Fair enough? Hold on. I feel like I need to take some notes here. Okay, Just well, give, give me a second. Yeah, yeah get, uh, get your pad of paper. <laughs> we're going to keep going, and you can always See, rewind. It, it is interesting, though, because you know we talked about the S&P 500, the NASDAQ, and the Dow, again. I just, I'm, I'm never yes. going to forget at this point. But yes. y- you said that it wasn't classified in the same exact way in, you know, say international investing as it is in the U.S. But it, it is kind of classified to a certain degree, right? You know, the the developed are more of the elite. The emerging are, yeah, they're okay. They're getting there. They have a chance to get much better. And then, you know, that that first one, the the frontier, they're really just getting started. So it is kind of tiered a little bit like the U.S., no? So, yes, in that sense, it is for sure. But in the U.S., we actually have these type of tiers, too. We have the Dow, we have the Mm -hmm. S&P, and we actually go to, like, the small cap would be the the emerging, if you will. So, yes, very loosely. Okay. You know, you say tomato, I say tomato, okay? But with all that, let's get back to why would you even go and look in other places? The U.S. is uh, where it's at, my man right? Uh, We call it the king dollar, the U.S. dollar. You know, everyone wants to be here in America in terms of democracy, in spite of all these things that have gone on in the last 12 months. We are known as the most developed nation on the planet by most. So why would you want to leave home? Fair fair question. Mm -hmm, Okay, well, there's this thing actually out there in investing called home bias. What do you think home bias stands for? What does that mean? Home bias, uh, would that mean that there are people who think that investing internationally is simply just flat out better than investing in the U.S.? Well, great question. And vice versa? Yeah, vice versa. Home bias means that you just have a bias for what's comfortable to you. So you just say, well, I'll just invest here, right? So I invest in the United States only, the S&P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the rest, right? I don't need that other stuff. Well, in investing and in portfolio theory, it says that, and you would know these two things, diversification creates safety, but also that diversification creates the opportunity for outperformance. In the safety side, we have that quote that you've heard, I know, around Easter time, don't keep all your eggs in one basket, right? Mm -hmm, So by diversifying out, you have a chance to, again, reduce your risk. And then the other side of it is you have the opportunity to buy that long shot. Maybe the United States isn't really where the long shot is. For example, last year, the S&P returned 16% through the COVID-19 crisis. Pretty darn good, right? Mm-hmm. Guess what? Denmark returned 44%. The Netherlands returned 24%. So there were countries that actually did better than the United States, dollar for dollar or return point That's return. ridiculous. No one right. does better than the United I'm States. I'm telling you, right? So nope, that's, I don't believe it. So that's very simply the why, because you should recognize that there are opportunities outside of your home. 
Fair enough. Mm -hmm. That's the home bias. So then the next one is what? What countries or where? Okay, we just agreed that maybe there's more return opportunities, less risk by diversification, if we say that. Then it's like, well, where do we go? Do you want to go to the Netherlands? You want to invest in China? You want to invest in Brazil? You want to invest in, you know, Ethiopia and Africa and go all the way Chile? to Iceland? Back to Chile, right? <laughs> Beautiful. Canada, right? For sure. So anyway, all of that is then you have to decide where to go. And then what do you do? Do you, hey, there you go. What do you do? <laughs> you have stocks as an option, as we do. You also have international bonds. We call that debt. And if it's debt of a country instead of the U.S. Treasury debt, it's called sovereign debt or debt of that country. Every country issues debt, their bonds, just like the United States Treasury, their version of that. And so then you decide, do you want to be in international stocks or international bonds? Or how do you you know, invest internationally. So you have to kind of weigh that as well. So really quick, and I know we have a, a lot more, you know, to kind of chew on essentially, you know, the rest of the episode, but I, it, I'm just curious because the United States stock market is such a monster, but you're talking about international investing. And that is the theme of, of this episode for everyone watching, everyone listening, you know, on Apple, Spotify, whatever it is, you're telling me that, that there isn't, I don't know, say, uh, a Germany-specific stock market. There isn't a France-specific stock market. And, and again, you might not be able to answer this, but this is just genuine curiosity on my part as we're talking about it. Was that was there a certain point when it was just the United States is so big and they're going to do their own thing and it is just that, and then there's international investing? Or is it different if you live in those countries and there are specific stock markets just for those specific countries, or do they view it as the international market is is everything. Does that make sense of what, well, what I'm yeah, trying so to explain? Well, yeah, so it's country by country. If you, okay. lived, if you lived in Germany, sure. you want to invest in German companies, mm -hmm. right? They're developed. They're known as a banking center in Europe, right? And so Germans may want to, again, invest in their home bias. They believe in the German you know, capitalistic system, right? If you're in Japan, that was a huge market in the 90s. The Japanese market, you want to invest in the you know, potential successes in Japan. So every country typically has its own market. And that is, again, uh, a, you know, a conglomeration of the stocks that are domiciled or the companies that are domiciled in that country. So I was just looking at it from the United States perspective. And we just say, instead of saying China, Japan, France, Germany, and saying all of these different countries, we just were essentially giving it the blanket of international investing, essentially. So with international investing, you have an argument to your point that Ford sells cars overseas. And we used to use actually the example when I was young in the business of McDonald's, there's something like more McDonald's locations outside of the US than there are in the US. So even though McDonald's is a S&P 500 stock, it is a US it's all over stock, the world, but yeah. you can actually get exposure globally by buying that because their profits come from there. Sure. Right? Okay. So yeah. you can, again, you could paint very complicated picture fast, but there are reasons why you want to have investments in stocks in the United States and investments in stocks that are actually, you know, domiciled outside the United States. And that's for the primary reason of diversification mm -hmm. and potentially to outperform. And so with what you just said, I'm going to give you two periods of time. Okay, back to that home bias and uh, talking about a lot of people out there, a lot of advisors in the business, a lot of newer uh, investors, meaning ones in the last 10 years, they know that from, uh, what is it, 2000 to 2009, 
the U.S. stock market, we had this thing in 2008 and 2009. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, what was that? Yeah, we, yeah Oh, yeah, Obama global, got elected. Yeah, that's what it was. The global financial yeah, crisis, yes. right? The global <laughs> financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. Well, guess yeah. what? Prior to that, we also had the um, turn-of-the-century crisis, the 2000 to 2002 stock market decline. Do you follow me? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if you add up the 2000 decline, the 2001 decline, the 2002 decline, then it goes back up to 06, back down in 08, and then recovers again in 09. Well, during that 10-year period, that's actually referred to as the lost decade, because the U.S. stock market went up and went down and actually lost 33% on a cumulative basis from point A to point B, right? Lost 33% of your money, point A to point B. But the international markets did much better because they just have a different dynamic, which we'll talk about. And the emerging markets, that middle category, which is actually the one that we here at Great Lakes Wealth love the most right now, we actually would recommend taking a very strong look at putting you know, some of your investment portfolio there, certainly, and maybe overweight it and underweight it. And again, talk to your financial advisor for your situation. And you certainly reach out to Dewey or anyone on his team uh, to find out some more. Yeah, Absolutely. We're happy to talk to you. But during that lost decade in America, where the stock market lost 33% on a cumulative basis, the emerging markets stocks gained 89%. So as wow. things, so sometimes they ebb and they flow. So sometimes international goes one way, you know, domestic or US goes the other way. Well, prior to that, between 1990 and 1999, that was the go-go days. You know, I know you were uh, just getting going yourself, right? But 1990 <laughs> to 1999, that was the internet boom in America, the internet revolution. That was the bubble of 1999. And by the way, seems very similar to what's going on these days, a little bit. Talk about that maybe another day. But all that to say, in the United States, from 1990 to 1999, the average annual return, average annual, was 20.38%. The average annual. So 2020, 20, that's a 200% return in 10 years, yeah. a straight line, right? Without compounding. But the international, or in this case, the emerging markets return was only 13% per year. So they both did well, but you got an extra 7% per annum on average investing in the United States. So 1990, 1999. U.S. outperformed 2000 to 2009. The international outperformed. And then guess what? 2010 to 2020 that just ended. The United States smoked, Boom. Yeah. smoked all regions around the world. And guess what? It's a new decade. Maybe you should start a new approach to investing. And we happen to think you're going to see maybe for the next 10 years where this international component drives further returns than you'll get here. Hey guys, it's Bogey. I want to take a second to talk to you about Dewey Stefan and his excellent team at Great Lakes Wealth. Look, do you feel overwhelmed with managing your assets in today's financial world? I mean, think about the times we're in. Do you want financial freedom instead? Great Lakes Wealth offers Wall Street solutions with Main Street values. They sit down with you to develop custom financial solutions utilizing all of your assets, even your 401k. They build the future you want based on your goals and your dreams. That's what Great Lakes Wealth is all about. Thinking about you, thinking about your family, and thinking about your future. Simply go to greatlakeswealth.us to schedule an appointment today. They offer better investments and better service than anyone out there. Your road to financial freedom starts at greatlakeswealth.us. Please visit greatlakeswealth.us or simply give Great Lakes Wealth a call today. You mentioned emerging markets that you at Great Lakes Wealth, your team, you know, your research, your plans uh, certainly, you know, seem very fond of the emerging markets. But if you had to say, you know, what 
what do you invest in, essentially? Um, I, I guess, what would be the answer to that? Well, we're going to take a step back and we're going to start with the developed markets because when you want to go invest overseas, you want to go safety first yeah. and then go the middle tier and then the risky tier, right? Sure. So the developed markets, there are 21 major international countries that also contain 900 stocks. So there's 21 countries in the index and that comprises over 900 stocks. The largest holdings in the developed index might be Nestle. And then Roche Holdings, Novartis, ASML, which is a tech company. And then uh, Moe Hennessy. I know you know that one. Oh, Moe yeah. Hennessy, you heard of that? <laughs> and then Toyota, Unilever, um, and then SAP and AstraZeneca. So a lot of, and I guess, and that's a real thing, a lot of international pharmaceutical companies, because the FDA has little different rules. Maybe you're familiar with that. Sure. Oversees yeah. the science mm -hmm. um, and the protocols are a little you know, more lenient, I guess, or more, you know, progressive over there is what they call it. So that's where you start is with the developed countries. Okay. And then from there, you might want to go to this emerging hotspot, which is what we'll talk about. And that the biggest player there is China and China because of, uh, you know, their demographics as well as everything else we'll talk about is really a hot spot. And then the final one we'll talk in a minute is frontier markets. Those are the new generation. Okay. So do you want to go into each specifically starting with develop? Do you want to discuss the risks of investing, you know, I guess uh, internationally, where, where do we want to go from well, here? Well, let's go. We just talked about the developed and we'll get back into the hot spot of the emerging markets just, you know, for the time constraints of the pot. Okay. That'll be the hot spot. So within emerging markets, you've got countries like your favorite Chile, Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, you know, a list that goes on and on. You can certainly ser search that out. The BRICS, what was the BRIC again? Do you remember that the acronym? Oh, God. Brazil, um, Rhode Island. No, I'm kidding. Brazil, Russia, uh, <laughs> India, China. China, right? And S, you could throw that in for South Africa if you want to go with the BRICS. And then Kazakhstan, right? There you go. I'm but just kidding. No, so um, that is a broad index of the emerging markets mm -hmm. would be 39% China, 13% South Korea, 12% Taiwan, 9% India, 5% Brazil, and the others would accum accumulate to you know maybe 20%. But all that to say is also, depending on these other uh, countries, you're going to get very specific biases to um, sectors. And I will ask you this. You'll notice how many sectors in the S&P? 500. How many sectors? Oh, 11. Excuse 11 me. 11 sectors. You got it. <laughs> and when you're talking about these international indices, there's also 11 sectors. So they measure okay. it the same way. However, as we just talked about with developed markets, and maybe there's a overload of pharmaceutical companies that are primarily you know, in Europe, and the emerging markets, the largest would be tech, and then it's energy, and then financials, et cetera. So you kind of have to weigh this in. I know it's complicated, but this is where we try to, at Great Lakes Wealth and with this pod, take the complicated and make it simple. So it, it, it sounds incredibly complicated. And, and one of the you know things that just kind of jumps to my mind as far as weighing some of the risks that, that can maybe be associated with international investing, you know, you, you mentioned here in the United States, companies like the big three, you know, Ford, you know, GM, we, we know companies like, you know, certainly in Amazon, you know, and others. I would imagine one of the risks with international investing is just simply not knowing as much about everything that's going on potentially overseas, you know, not, I mean, for some people, they, they wake up in the morning, they read the paper, you know, they read the business section or you pull up, pull up on your phone, you know, the business section in the paper, you know, digitally or whatever it is, you're familiar with all these businesses. And if you pay attention, you know, what's going on with international investing. I got to believe it's a little bit more difficult to get the actual information on a daily basis. So maybe you're not as educated 
in international investing fair well you're right on track it's not even the educated it's just you can be suspicious right in america we have this thing called gap have you heard of g-a-a-p generally accepted accounting principles okay okay so we have again we have regulations that companies mm-hmm. especially if they're public they have to be scrutinized and the data that they present to investors is accurate and you're uh, subject to you know liability and uh, criminal you know uh, persecution when you're wrong right in other countries again with china the wild they, wild west <laughs> the, you have to not only trust that what they're telling you is legitimate but you have to then invest again hoping that it is and how do you check that on an ongoing basis right so they do talk about again the um, ability to police your uh, investments for accuracy under the accounting rules. On top of that, Kyle, you've heard of this thing called the dollar? Uh, yeah, okay. vaguely familiar. Yeah, well, yeah. every country has a dollar, right? The United States, we have our U.S. dollar, but in Canada, in Canada, in Canada <laughs> they have the Canadian uh, dollar. Have you heard of yeah, this? Yes, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then in other countries, right, they have their currencies known as their local dollar. Yeah. Well, as you know, and as the listeners and the viewers know, there's a uh, a relationship between two currencies. If the dollar is up here, maybe the Canadian currency, even though we can't go to Canada right now, but we used to go, it used to be a dollar to a dollar thirty, right? You go to Canada and your dollar buys a dollar thirty of, of goods over there. Fair enough. Yeah. And they go to Mexico, right? The peso, uh, you know, is a very much devalued, right? I don't know if it was a thousand pesos to the dollar, whatever the number was. You follow yeah. me? Crazy, yeah, for okay. sure. Well, when we're talking on a global basis, and we talk about this daily here, um, there is the strong dollar and then there's a weak dollar, meaning the US dollar, mm-hmm. right? And so Right now, the United States, uh, we're printing a lot of money. We're giving a lot of stimulus. There's a lot of things being done to help you know, us survive the COVID-19 crisis. So with all that you have, are these companies overseas you know, cooking the books or not? Are they legit? Are the countries that are actually representing them a lot of times, are they being fair with you know, GDP numbers and, uh, and their government numbers? Who the heck knows? Because they all want to either show strength. Mm-hmm. But they also maybe they want to show weakness for a while because they're playing some kind of games. So you have a dollar relationship, and you certainly have uh, the ability to you know investigate or review your investments overseas. You know what's interesting too, and and this is again just you know something I'm thinking about as we're you know kind of combing through this. But I would almost wonder too if if talking about regulations and whether or not you would get in trouble or get you know a, you know slap on the wrist or whatever um, if you did anything immoral or illegal. I would wonder if, you know, com- I don't know, companies from all over the world would potentially put out false information, send, uh, you know, do social media ad campaigns potentially targeting people and those people invest because, oh, they see this thing and they're like, oh, this is a great opportunity. And really, it's just a big giant scam. I would wonder about that, too. You can't regulate that necessarily unless these companies here in the United States vet it a little bit better. So you're right on. That happens here in the United States as well, right? There are small companies in the SEC and these other regulatory bodies. They smack down, like you said, right? Well, when you're talking overseas investing, you have where the last administration, the Trump administration, they told China, you're done. Mm-hmm. Because, again, you're stealing our stuff. You're not doing tr- uh, fair trade practices, right? So you're absolutely spot on that there are um, – multiple scenarios where you have to understand the dynamics of the political stage and the global environment that's there, right? On that note, that is going to be considered another tailwind for 
international and emerging markets investing, right? Because the Biden administration is thought to be more in agreement or more uh, supportive of global uh, trade and relationships with China. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but that's kind of the headline that's there. So if this administration is going to kind of undo some of those um, policies and procedures that the Trump administration did, that might make trade better, especially for the other side, right? That's the whole idea. Mm -hmm. So you might as well have some investments over there from that perspective, right? And then the final thing we'll talk about all of this to kind of wrap it up and really kind of get into um, how you can, you know, how you can get into some of the countries and investments is that there are stocks for sure and countries have their specific stocks and they might be oil and natural resource, you know, you know, Latin America, South America, you know, primarily mm-hmm. and technology driven if you're talking China and all that stuff. So as we're talking about the opportunity to invest in stocks overseas, there's also bonds overseas. So whether it's trying to grow your money. Here in the United States, as we've talked about in prior pods, the average return in a bank account currently is 30 basis points or 0.30, right? That's the average going to bankrate.com or for a savings account, APY, 0.30. Well, there are countries out there, look at Brazil, look at some others in Australia that have interest rates that are 4, 5, or 6%. So if you take your U.S. dollars and invest in these other countries, you can get 4, 5, or 6% return on your you know, investment in uh, interest versus the United States. So there's the stock market opportunities overseas for sure. There's also the bonds or the fixed income opportunities overseas. Again, this is just a real over a real quick overview to uh, international investing. Talk to your financial advisor. Uh, do some of your research. Understand that investing is part of a uh, global portfolio. Don't keep all your eggs in one basket, as they say. And then you need to figure out how you can actually get in. So getting in, you want to look at mutual funds. You also want to look at ETFs. You also want to look at what we call American depository receipts. If there's a uh, stock that's in, uh, in a foreign stock, international stock, they sometimes request shares to be placed on the American market for their benefit. They're not actually shares of their stock because they trade their stock in their own local market, okay? But they want to have American investors invest. So they ask for a, you know, call it a surrogate stock or kind of a, you know, um, an IOU for a stock, if you will, Mm -hmm. in that company that you can buy on the New York Stock Exchange or um, any of their exchanges here. So it's actually not buying, you know, a share of that foreign company directly. You're just buying this, IOU, if you will, called an American Depository Receipt, known as an ADR, okay? And along those lines, with stocks internationally, you have to pay foreign tax, too. So, again, uh, there are some headwinds of investing internationally, but uh, one of them is there are some uh, international taxes that you have to pay on top of your you know, United States taxes for any gains you have. But besides ADRs, you can also buy local market stocks. So you can actually... Get on your private plane there, Kyle. Fly yeah. over to whatever country you want to hit. Change your U.S. dollars. Put it into their local currency. Walk over to that exchange or actually go find a little local broker there and drop off these dollars into whatever it is now and tell them that you'd like to buy XYZ stock on their local market and you want to hold it in that capacity. It's actually buying a stock of a foreign company in that foreign currency and holding it there. Very complicated, but through either mutual funds or actually through some of the brokerage firms that are out there here, they have access and can do that for you. So there are a lot of different ways to get into it, but I'm just telling you now, take a look at international investing as a 
percentage of your portfolio, mm-hmm. just like you would want a little bit of gold, maybe a little bit of cannabis, maybe a little of this cryptocurrency. You want to have real estate. You absolutely need to consider international investing. Talk to your financial advisor and see what would work best for you. Lastly, and this is just pure, again, curiosity on my part as we're, we're wrapping up here in a great conversation on international investing, but is there a stigma at all here in the United States? You know, you hear about, uh, you know, you don't want to buy foreign, you want to buy American and all of that. Is there is there any kind of that connotation as far as investing in international uh, companies, stock markets, et cetera, as opposed to investing your money here or no? Yes. Well, okay. I believe so. I was actually talking to several clients today, as a matter of fact, and they're like, you know what? I don't want to invest in this country. I won't say the country's name, sure, but because of this political situation, <laughs> because of this and that and the other, right? Perhaps so, one of the reasons, the reason why we're in the midst of this pandemic. I don't know. You, I, I feel like I'm you, catching on. You yeah, get for it. sure. And um, again, we uh, we know some companies that again they stick American made mm-hmm. on their products, or they buy parts American only, yeah. right? Um, through. The pandemic in 2020, there absolutely were of supply chain shortages. American companies, manufacturing companies, couldn't complete, you know, their, you know, device or their unit because they were not getting the parts off of the boats. They weren't arriving for whatever. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stigmas behind it for sure. I would say that more entrepreneurial type investors that don't have that home bias. Let's get Mm -hmm. back to that. They really want to just understand how to take advantage of any situation. They are like, hey, let's go where the opportunities are, right? And so, yes, there are absolutely thoughts about, I'm not investing internationally. I'm staying right here in the good old US of A. Mm -hmm. Got it. There's others that say, I'm going to go where the opportunities are, my friend. And that's what we say here at Great Lakes Wealth. Well, an incredibly thorough breakdown of international investing. Of course, if you have any other questions or you simply just want to talk to Dewey or one of his team members here at Great Lakes Wealth, you can always go to greatlakeswealth.us. And as we always say, we're just getting started. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or any specific security. It's only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risks and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.